Hi, I'm Bryn Thompson. This is the Coburn Ventures podcast. It's for our clients, for investors, for our community of industry leaders, fellows, and friends. This is a group that loves the craft of investing, studies change, is dedicated to business analysis and leadership, and all that's behind the scenes of that work. I hope you enjoy it. This conversation continues our recent focus on decision-making. There are so many important elements of decision-making for investors and business leaders. And one area where we know there's a lot of rich territory is in simply identifying where I am in the process, understanding how many steps there are along the journey from beginning to end, and how each node in the decision-making process calls on my different skill sets my different modalities of analysis and brings up my different strengths and weaknesses or the strengths and weaknesses of my team. So I hope this quick overview helps you start to understand where you and your team are really working nicely and generating investable insights and where in the process you want to dig in and get better. I hope you enjoy it. So today we're continuing on topics of decision-making. And Pip and I are here to discuss the data chain. I'm gonna quickly go through what the seven nodes of the data chain are, just to lay some context, and then Pip has a fun example, and then we'll go from there. So the data chain starts picture like seven nodes, you know, we usually draw seven circles, maybe connected by a line in between. And it starts with a question. Then that question, you know, to answer the question, you make observations, you look for data. So data is the second node. Data with some context around it is knowledge. So knowledge is the third node. Then the fourth node is insight or wisdom. So that's something we're absolutely hoping to get to. Um, Not every question journey gets you to an insight or wisdom. After that, the fifth node is the decision. After the decision is the action the actual action, and then finally the result. So Pip, give us a simple example of how that works. Sure, Uh, the the example that I like to give is if I have a stomach problem, that's my problem. I might go to a doctor and the doctor's gonna be asking me a bunch of questions and that's their form of taking in data. Because they're a doctor and not an auto mechanic, they can convert that data into knowledge and information. They can provide it context. Because they've gone to medical school, they have a mental model about how the body works, so they might be able to convert that knowledge into a much deeper understanding or what we might call an insight. From that place, they make an uh, insight-generated decision about the thing that we should do. That's node five. Uh, We follow up and follow their directions. That's the action. It might go to the pharmacy and get some pills or something. And then the result is my stomach is fine in five to seven days. Like it's a clean, that's a clean example of how this system might work in the world. It's a lot messier as you know, we all know. So sometimes we, we're not even sure where we are in a system, just like a sales process. I think this data process helps us see where we are in, in life in relationship to a problem, what we're trying to achieve and increase the odds that we can accomplish that. Yeah, I think that's point number one. There's just benefit in understanding where you are in the process. 
So let's start at the beginning with the question. So the question, sometimes when I think of this, I think the question is almost like predetermined or preloaded. But we can spend a lot of time just talking about how to generate maybe an unlocking question. Um, yeah, I was thinking uh, it was about a month after I had kind of created this format in 2006 and I shared it with one of my friends. And he like looked at me and said, Pip, why would you think that this process would be easy? Most meetings, by the end of the meeting, you can't even remember what the question was that you gathered for the meeting for. And then we both started laughing that, you know, we now pay consultants a lot of money to come in and tell us what the problem is. And so this thing that just seems kind of, oh, well, you know, adults should be able to figure out what the problem is. And investors, like we're smart, we should figure out the problem with. In our rocks process, as Bryn, as you know, probably a good rocks process where we're trying to figure out how to generate an important insight, 70% of the time we change that initial question really meaningfully. So I think we, just on that point, mm -hmm. we think it's easy to figure out the right question. I think it's really difficult. We have so many biases. We tend to go for the commonly asked question of the day that everyone's talking about. We don't drop deeper in. Uh, Dan Kahneman's told us about the, the substitute question effect that we tend to ask questions that we can get answers to when some of the best unlocking questions are the ones that are so hard to dig into that no one really even braves into it. So getting the question right, I think is, is really difficult. I, I like to call it an unlocking question. So in the rock sessions that you're mentioning, Pip, one of the, I guess a standard is the unlocking question is at least three to four rounds or layers underneath the initial question, at least. And we spend sometimes 20 to 120 minutes just working on that. And when people walk out the door, it still may not be the unlocking question, but you sure are a lot closer. And that the trap to fall into the oversimplified substitute questions is that seems to be the modus operandi of most investors is just go for, you know, not it, what are long-term operating profits going to be, but what are operating profits going to be this quarter? And will they beat that? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that extra time investing, figuring out the question systematically day in, day out is a huge competitive differentiator. As investors, understandably, we're looking for shortcuts to do our jobs really well. Like we can look at thousands of companies and then we have to make decisions and like there's so much data. So it's, it's appropriate to look for shortcuts. Looking for shortcuts on what the most important question is, that's not a place to save time. That's not a place to outsource it to, well, what's Wall Street talking about or things like that. So that's node one question. Um, next, let's walk through data. Node two, knowledge insight and wisdom. So data, data used to be the big, big deal 20, 25 years ago. Can you say more, Pip? Yeah, I, re I still remember learning from, I think it was Byron Wien who said, you know, he hired a plane to go in St. Louis to fly over farmland to figure out what was happening with crops in 1980. Hmm. Like, because there was, there was a data edge or in the you know, 15, 20 years ago, people would make these trips to Taiwan to find out what's going on in the supply chain. And they're trying to get data edge. 
Um, one of our dear friends, Scott Booth, a bunch of years ago said, you know, now with the internet, data is everywhere. JP Rangaswamy says, if you think data is your moat, you're going to have a problem because data is going to be everywhere. So consequently, we have to kind of shift the orientation as an investor from a data edge mentality, not just to information or knowledge edge, but all the way over to like an insight edge, a much deeper understanding. And that's going to be look like a different day than the day that you'd go through trying to find data. edge. Those are two different jobs. And We've been transitioning from one world to the other. But that's where all the action is. So just staying with data for one more moment. Um, another thing that we've learned is data is not just numbers. Um, JP reminds us data is all kinds of observation, just like you were saying with the plane. I think those are actually pretty good examples of observations going into data. But after data, we have knowledge. And so knowledge is just data put into context as you say? Sure. I like to think about my, even like to, to boil it down into Excel spreadsheet type data, which is a minor subset of all the data out there. But if it's on a spreadsheet about my portfolio and there's a column that says PE 2020 or something like that, and it's all a bunch of numbers, well, my wife Kelly could look at that and it's data to both of us. But to me, it represents knowledge and information because I can contextualize what these little, what a PE is and what a good one is or a high one. Kelly would look at that and she wouldn't be able to make that conversion because she hasn't been trained in that type of orientation. So context is the thing that turns, the way we're talking about it in, the, in our working definitions, that's a really important ingredient. When an analyst starts picking up a new segment or something like that, they do need to get in position to be able to contextualize what they're hearing. Great. So the next move, and I like how you link the nodes with the word conversion, because moving from knowledge to insight and then insight to an insight generated decision, totally different conversion processes are required than maybe what we were used to with just tricking data and converting it into knowledge and maybe skipping over insight and wisdom to make decisions and take actions. So let's talk about that conversion process that's required to move from knowledge to insight or wisdom. Yeah, I, I definitely do not want to make um, fully informed, fully knowledgeable decisions. I think it's impossible when you think about that fully informed decision, but we could get sucked into just amassing more and more and more knowledge. That actually won't get us to the job at hand of finding some deeper understanding about what it all means, and that's an insight. So this knowledge to deeper understanding, this knowledge to insight is, is the critical part in investing today. We wanna to be able to see something that others can't see. I have a quick quote, Bryn before we reveal the magic of how we do this, of course, but the, the, uh, or our, our attempts to get there. And the quotes from Arthur Schopenhauer, the task is not so much to see what no one yet has seen, but to think what nobody yet has thought about that which everybody sees. Um, I'm not so exclusionary. I don't have to be the only one that sees it, but if the whole market is operating at like a knowledge or data and I can find a deeper understanding, I'm gonna be able to systematically take advantage of that. To convert though, we have to have some type of conversion mechanism to see deeper or a bunch of mechanisms. 
And so that's where we think about and have for a long time think about change frameworks. It's a lens to look at this situation and think, okay, if I put it through this lens, what do I see? If I put it through Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grieving, what do I see? If I put it through the change function, what do I see? Um, if I put it through one of Keith Yamashita's many lenses, what do I see? Can I see something different? If we don't take that stop to intentionally develop tools or frameworks and then apply them, what's gonna happen is our built-in worldview across our first two, three, four, five decades, that built-in worldview is gonna look at the situation and really probably have a very limited explanatory power mm. or really be misleading in that situation. So we want to have more looks that are uncorrelated that allow us to sink in deeper to see something at a level that has a greater understanding and truth about it. If we don't do that, our biases from our built-in worldview will totally dominate over and over and over again. And we'll be okay at what we do. One thing I notice is that sometimes when I draw out the data chain, I will draw all of the nodes on the same plane except for knowledge. I bump it up like a going up a mountain and then coming back down to insight to reflect something that we've talked about. I think it's a Zen Cohen or something. I don't know what you'll have to tell me, Pip. Um, to gain knowledge, add one thing each day. To gain wisdom, take one thing away each day. And as an analyst, we would use that in our process as you know, a company was maybe approaching the portfolio. There was a period of knowledge building and then there was a period of insight generation. And it was really important to distinguish where you were in the process because there would be totally different activities that you might take on to either build knowledge or gain insight. Yeah, I like the, the Albert Einstein quote as well. The significant problems we face cannot be solved at the same level of thinking we were at when we created them. Translated, that might mean the worldviews and orientations that got us to the current state, which is pretty good, but we have a problem, which is our first node. If we're gonna try and solve that, we're gonna to have to have some process to think about the situation differently. And that's what, that, what we're aiming to do very systematically in converting knowledge over to, a, again, a deeper understanding about the situation to be able to predict the future and insight about a company or a market. As always, we have a lot of writing available on this topic, so just let us know and we'll get you some opportunities to dive deeper if you like. And just for fun, I'll leave you again with that Schopenhauer quote, which is, so the problem is not so much to see what nobody has yet seen as to think what nobody has yet thought concerning that which everybody sees. Thanks for listening.